0: week's lecture titled, A Wealthy Man's Prayer. Now, I'm going to start with the uh, modern day issue of this uh, lecture, what we want to learn from this lecture, and how to make better our personal lives in relationship with God's self and with our fellow. So, this lecture is going to take us to the Kabbalistic Standards of Wealth. In which the person beyond just lacks nothing in addition to this the lecture is then going to explain what the prayer of such a wealthy man is all about what makes this an issue is that the torah mitzvah of prayer is to ask god for one's needs that is the actual definition of the law of what the mitzvah of prayer is all about and thus how can a man with truly no needs fulfill the torah mitzvah of prayer the practical modern day issue that we will extrapolate from this mystical journeys are a how can we connect with this level of wealth and b how can we take our prayers to this level this level, this lecture is based primarily on a mimer a mystical teaching of the Rebbe of blessed righteous memory delivered on this shabbat in 1969 exploring the spiritual dimension of an illogical mitzvah And, and of the prayer of moses Okay, some introductions are necessary here first introduction The opening mitzvah of the first of the two portions of the Torah that we are going to read this Shabbat, by the way, that's out of Israel. In Israel, they're only reading the second Torah portion. We're reading two Torah portions to catch up with them. So the opening mitzvah is the mitzvah of para aduma, the process of how to purify one who has become impure with the deepest layers of impurity. Paraduma simply means red cow because the law mandates, the Mitzvah mandates that the cow be completely red hair and not even two hairs on that cow may be of any other color. Okay, the Mima of the Rebbe will open with this and then quickly turn to the opening verse of chapter 90 in the book of Psalms. Now, the reason for this is that as in this year this Shabbat was the 12th of the Jewish calendar month of Tammuz, which is also the birthday of Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak of Lubavitch the previous Rebbe now when the Rebbe delivered this mimer in 1929 it was the 89th birthday of the previous Rebbe going into the 90th year which coincides with the 90th chapter in the Book of Psalms. Okay, so we're going to be going into both topics, a mystical exploration of what the statute of the Paraduma is all about, and a mystical journey in understanding the opening verse of chapter 90. The opening words are Tzkilat leMoshe," a prayer by Moses, and we will discuss this. Okay, let's start with the Mitzvah of Paraduma. The Mitzvah Parag Duma begins with the verse, and I quote to you the second verse of our Torah portion. This is the statute of the Torah, which God commanded, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and have them take to you a perfectly red, unblemished cow. And then the verses obviously go on with the laws and the procedures. Now, the obvious two questions on this verse is A. Why specifically this mitzvah of para aduma is called the statute of the entire Torah, zot chukat Torah. I mean when it comes to Passover for example, it says zot chukat Pesach. It doesn't say it's the statute of the entire the entire Torah. Why over here does it say zot chukat Torah? Number 2, why the specific command that they take to you, to Moses, which we don't find by all the other sacrifices and purifying procedures. It didn't have to come to Moses. Moses told the Jews what to do, and it was done in the Holy Temple. Why take unto you Moses? Two questions. In answer to the first question, we are taught that the mitzvah of Paraduma represents and embodies the heart of The all the Torah the mitzvot of the Torah and in order to understand this We need to understand what it is about the statute status of this specific mitzvah that is unparalleled in any other statute of the Torah now Just briefly we're going to talk about it later There are three types of mitzvot which really breaks into two categories there is the statute, chukim, which we have no human logical reason for. And then there are the judgments and the testimonies, which have a reason comprehensible in, comprehensible in the human logic. Don't steal, don't kill, keep Shabbat to remember that God created the world in six days and seventh days he rested, so forth and so on. Now, let's look into this. The definition of a statute mitzvah in contrast to a judgment mitzvah or a testimony mitzvah is that the statute mitzvah is fundamentally, fundamentally illogical. So much so that our sages state, and I quote to you Rashi on this, I'm sorry, I quote to you Rashi on this, um, on this, uh, on, on this verse sorry about that now the Rashi says like this and he quotes it from our sages the Talmud and tractic humor because the Satan and the nations of the world taunt Israel saying what is this commandment and what purpose does it have therefore the Torah uses the word statute I God have decreed it and you have no right to challenge it that is the definition of a statute now even though we are told that we cannot challenge it nevertheless we are commanded to understand to the best of our ability what the reason for even statutes are and to quote maimonides to be able to extrapolate from it how we can be a mensch a better person thus king solomon achieved an understanding of the reasons for all the mitzvot including the statutes other than the statute of the para aduma thus solomon states in ecclesiastics all this i tested with wisdom i said i will become wise but it was far from me now what is the it that king solomon is saying he could not understand and we look into rashi and rashi tells us to know and to search out and to seek the wisdom of the passage of the red cow the para aduma now which leads to one of the answers to the second question upon the words take the para aduma to you moses why specifically to moses when the te- with the teachings of our saying it's in the medrash, and i quote rabbi Yossi, son of rabbi chanina says the holy one blessed be he said to moses to you i will reveal the reason for the red cow, but for others it will be a decree, statute without a reason. Thus we see that there's something unique about this mitzvah, the statute of the para-adumah in relationship to specifically Moses. Specifically Moses was the only human being who ever lived that knew the reason to the para aduma even king solomon the wisest of all men says it remains far from me now however let us clearly understand the answer to the first question as to why the paraduma is the all-encompassing mitzvah of all the 613 mitzvot it is because being that paraduma is the quintessential statute of which even king solomon could not understand the reason for it. And thus it is the quintessential mitzvah of which we have but obedience to God in our observance of it. Thus it is the all-encompassing mitzvah. For each and every mitzvah, even the ones that do have logical reasons, are to fundamentally be observed and performed with obedience, not because of the reason." Thus, being that the paraduma, we have no reason at all. Thus, the only thing we could observe the paraduma with is the obedience God wants, and we will do. And being that that is the fundament of every mitzvah, thus paraduma becomes the quintessential statute of all the mitzvot of the Torah. Okay, now that we understand clearly the answer to the first question let's go now to the second question of why the paraduma is specifically associated with moses the verse says and they shall take unto you now rashi explains what is the reason for this He says and i quote it will always be called on your name the cow which moses prepared in the desert and by the way this doesn't just refer to that cow but rather our sages say that all the future cows, the eight that were brought in the history of the Jewish people, and the tenth red cow, which will be brought by Mashiach, are all called by the name of Moses. Now, the mystical reason as to why this specific mitzvah is to forever be called as Moses is because just as the Torah itself is called in the book of prophets in Malachi keep in remembrance the Torah of Moses Avdi. so too are all the 600 mitzvahs to be called the mitzvot of Moses just like the Torah is called the Torah of Moses and being that the mitzvah of is the quintessential all-encompassing mitzvah thus God states it will always be called on your name Moses' name which refers as i said to also the other 8 para adumot throughout the throughout our history and the final 10th one that will be made by mashiach now and to get even clearer on this mystical teaching being that all the mitzvot must be done with obedience and obedience is built upon complete self nullification and humility and the verse states about moses in the book of numbers now this man moses was exceedingly humble more so than any person on the face of the earth end quote of the verse and thus it is specifically through moses being the rebbe of the jewish people imbuing them with this humility for self-sacrifice and obedience which makes pure mitzvot observance possible therefore all mitzvot through the quintessential all-encompassing mitzvah para duma are called the mitzvah of moses in other words being that the power of obedience comes from humility and self-nullification thus because moses was the one the only one as the verse stated who was the most humble of all Thus, through Moses being our Rebbe, giving us, teaching the children of Israel, empowering the children of Israel with his humility, it is through Moses that we are capable of having total obedience. Thus, this quintessential mitzvah of obedience, Zot Chukat HaTorah, Statue, Obedience, is called in the name of Moses, because it is only through Moses that we, that do struggle with ego and arrogance, can nevertheless observe commandments with true obedience. Now, however, this will lead us to a very deep question. If Pada aduma is the quintessential all-encompassing mitzvah, precisely because it is the ultimate embodiment of obedience, Precisely because it is the ultimate embodiment of being an illogical statute, then how can this be the precise mitzvah to be called in Moses' name when Moses was precisely the only human who did know the reason for the Paraduma, thus making it for Moses not an illogical statute to be performed by pure obedience? So where is Moses' connection? with the quintessential statute which has no logical reason when it is quite clear that he is the only person for which the paraduma is not a pure statute for he was the only person who was taught the reason let's go to the next point the wealthy man's prayer in chapter 90 of psalm of Psalms, it begins with Tfilat lemoshe a prayer by Moses upon which the zohar the holy zohar teaches us that the prayer of Moses is a wealthy man's prayer tfilat ashir now what is the torah definition of being wealthy what is the torah's definition what is the 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 definition of when a person is not wealthy and at what stage he becomes or she becomes wealthy So, concerning the laws of charity, our sages in the Talmud extrapolate from the verse in Deuteronomy. The verse says, You shall lend him sufficient for his needs, which he is lacking. And what does the Talmud extrapolate from this verse? It says, Sufficient for his deficiency. This teaches that you are commanded with respect to the pauper to support him. But you are not commanded with respect to him to make him wealthy. As the obligation encompasses only that which he lacks as indicated by the word deficient okay however the talmud then goes on to say being that the verse also states and again i quote which is deficient for him this includes even a horse upon which to ride and a servant to run in front of him for the sake of his stature if necessary for someone accustomed to these advantages, their absences constitute a true deficiency, not an extravagant indulgence. So we're told, number one, not to make, we don't have to make the person rich when we give him charity, only to take care of his needs and that which he is lacking. However, then the verse goes on to say which he is lacking, from which the Talmud extrapolates that we need to restore him to his his stature of what he calls needs and lacking. So if someone who was rich, who used to have a horse and a slave running in front of him in order to announce his arrival, that is his stature of needs, and not to have that would be lacking. Thus, we have to give him even that in charity. What we learn out from here is that obviously, even to have a horse and and slaves running ahead of you to announce your arrival is not considered wealthy it is considered fulfilling that which is lacking thus what is the definition of wealthy and what we're going to understand from here is that according to the torah being wealthy is to have such a magnitude of abundance, including that which you will never need, even for the greatest of luxuries. It is true wealth for the sake of wealth, with no purpose of usage at all. Anything which is, which is for usage of a person's stature, we already said, is considered lacking. Thus, only that which has no usage... At all for anyone's stature and luxury to become accustomed with, that is wealth. Okay, now we can truly appreciate this question that, <clears throat> especially for Moses, who had not only physical wealth but also spiritual wealth, as we will explain, thus, truly the question begs to be asked. How did Moses fulfill the commandment of prayer, which is dependent upon asking God to fulfill your needs or at least that which you lack? And Moses, which is Zoah says, was wealthy, not only had no needs that wasn't already fulfilled, not only he had no lacks which was not already fulfilled, he even had true wealth for the sake of wealth of which there is no usage. Okay, and now let us begin the lecture. So I'm going to begin, as always, with giving you the list of what Kabbalistic teachings we're going to discuss. Number one, the evolution of mitzvot from will to reason. Number two, spiritual true wealth. Number three, why prayer? And number four, Moses' statue, Israel's obedience. Now here... I'm going to, for a moment, go off script of how I always work. Because this teaching of the Rebbe has a huge wealth of different details to what the Rebbe is bringing in to build his case, thus I want to start with a bottom line summary, and then we'll go through some of those aspects that the Rebbe brings in the Mimer. So here is the bottom line summary. In the words, le Moshe, a prayer by Moses, there is a dichotomy on two levels. Number one, Moses is wealthy, as we explain, connecting with the essence of the infinite light, we'll explain that, which is omnipotent, as it is omnipresent, as it is eternal, and thus Moses has no needs, and yet this is a prayer A request to have needs met by Moses dichotomy number one in the words a prayer by Moses Moses exemplifies absolutely no need and no lacking prayer exemplifies having to have a need or a lack fulfilled and thus it's a dichotomy number two being that Moses is spiritually wealthy we'll explain that experiencing the inner depths of the supernal crown the essence of the infinite light well let's explain that thus moses drawing divinity into this world could be from above to below meaning that the omnipotent and omnipresent essence light can simply shine into the below and nevertheless moses chooses to accomplish this not through his spiritual powers from above to below but rather specifically through prayer which is the act of from below to above and man from below speaking from within himself to God above that's what prayer is all about now the reason for this is because there is a virtue when it is from above and there is a virtue when it is from below and regardless of the virtues of either the most important point is that God purposefully made the world spiritually incomplete as we're taught in Genesis and created everything including the essence light for the Jew to come along and become God's partner by completing it all specifically of the below, by the below, and for the below. And thus God's main point main focal point of all creation is not above but from below wanting that below the physical human being with freedom of choice should become the center of all of the universe and he would become a partner with god by completing the incomplete work of god so that he can become a partner with god and that everything will be done preciously through the freedom of choice of man below. Thus, Moses purposely goes ahead and chooses prayer service rather than shining down service. Now, let's talk about the virtue of each. The virtue of when it comes from above is that what comes isn't limited to the reach of the below. It has no difference. It's not being in, in, in instigated. It's not being aroused from below. It's coming from above thus it doesn't make a difference on what the below could or cannot reach however this causes a vice because if it's not from the below then it's going to impose itself upon the below to be its host however the below itself will not transform in the process and thus there won't be the true unity between the below and God Now let's talk about the virtue of when it is initiated from below. So on the one hand, when it's from the below, it means that below is refining itself and transforming itself to truly become selfless and spiritual. However, the vice here is that if it comes from below, that which could be initiated is only that which the below can reach thus it's very limited now let's talk about what we have when we have a prayer by moses so on the one hand we have both virtues with no vices because on the one hand moses is doing prayer meaning from below to above on the other hand moses unlike the below is connected like we said before wealthy and we'll explain all of this that he connects to the depths of the supernal crown the essence light thus we have both prayer wealth slash Moses thus we have both virtues it's coming from below transforming and refining and truly uniting with the below and what is it that's uniting far beyond the reach of the below the essence light itself now let's go further the answer is That Moses being wealthy does not define the truth of who Moses is. In other words, what we're going to have over here is that we understand why Moses chose to do prayer. But how is it possible for Moses to choose and do prayer if prayer begets a need that hasn't been fulfilled that we're asking God to fulfill? Now, being that Moses is wealthy, that doesn't exist by Moses spiritually physically thus we're going to understand the answer to this how moses could have experienced prayer as follows moses is not defined neither by the physical wealth and not even the spiritual wealth of who he was rather the only true to the core definition of who moses is our Torah teaches us Raya Mehemna Raya Naaman, a faithful Shepherd to the Jewish people therefore in the truest essence of Moses being far beyond having spiritual wealth the need of the Jewish people become his personal need even though on his own Moses has the specific need already fulfilled because Moses isn't about who he is and what he has. He's about being a shepherd to us and what we have and don't have. It is when Moses connects with his people that the needs of his people create for Moses a need through which Moses can now experience the truth of prayer. And nevertheless, once Mo- what Moses draws into the below through his prayer is the Essence like wealth that Moses connects to. This is the secret of Tfilah Lemoshe. Now, let us see how this plays itself out in the statute of the Para Aduma being specifically Moses' statue. For here too we have the dichotomy. If it is Moses, then it can't be a statute, for Moses knows the reason, right? So, Thus, the verse begins with, Speak to the children of Israel. Mystically, what those words mean, that God is telling Moses, that because Moses' truest being is a faithful shepherd to the children of Israel, therefore, go speak, i.e. connect, with the lack of understanding of the children of Israel. And through this, speak to the children of Israel connection, Then comes the next words in the verse, and have them take to you. What does that mean? Their needs, not understanding the reason for Para Adumah will make it a statute for Moses, even though he personally does know the reason. In other words, Moses' experience is more defined by his flock than by himself. Thus his flock's needs becomes his needs because that is who he is all about tending to the need of his flocks so too the Jewish people's not understanding the statute of Paraduma creates it to be a statute for Moses even though in his own right he knows the reason because he is all about his people and his people's experience is that of an absolute statute with the quintessential obedience now here, too, the relationship between Moses and the children of Israel are twofold. How is it twofold? In which they complete each other, not just Moses completing the Jewish people, but the Jewish people completing Moses. Moses. Let's see how this works. Number one, the children of Israel make the para Aduma a statute for Moses, offering Moses the depths of needing absolute, absolute obedience. And on the other hand, The humility and self-negation of Moses makes it possible for the children of Israel to truly serve with absolute obedience that can only be experienced by absolute humility and self-negation. Now, one last point to the summary and then we'll dive in to a couple of points of the class. Tefillah and Moshe, the children of Israel, speak to the children of Israel and have them take to you the bond which takes place between the Tfila and Moshe through the Jewish people. The bond that takes place through the speak to the children of Israel and their total ob- statute experience of not having any logical reason with Moses of the paraduma. So here it is. Being that Moses is spiritually wealthy and did understand the reason of the paraduma, And together with this, Moses is now experiencing the true need of obedience through his flock. The outcome is that even on an intellectual level of reasoning, we can now appreciate the infinite capacity of obedience. Because on the one hand, there is obedience. That's what the Jewish people give to Moses. Moses now experiences that. Moses has the opportunity to do prayer. And therefore, Moses, in his own right, has the true understanding of reasoning. Thus, what's happening is there's a bond between intellectual reasoning and obedience. That even intellectual reasoning can appreciate the need for obedience. And even obedience can appreciate the need to have an internal intellectual connection with God. Okay, and now we return to our regular programming of this lecture. And because I explained uh, pretty much everything in the summary, I'm going to be very brief with the points of what we listed before, the four mystical points. Number one, the evolution of mitzvot from will to reason. Mitzvot, all 613 mitzvot, come from the same source. And yet, the mitzvot will divide itself into the three categories aforementioned, statute judgments and testimonies. Why? If they all come from the same place, they should all remain the same category. So to understand this, I'm going to share with you a Kabbalistic teaching. There are 613 biblical commandments and there are seven rabbinical mitzvot. And I put a link where you can look them all up. Now, 613 plus 7 equals 620. The Hebrew word for crown, keter, kaf, tuf, tuf, resh, it has the numerical value of 620. Now, what does this mean in the realm of Kabbalah? In the realm of Kabbalah and Hasidism, this supernal crown represents God's infinite will. So the head, the three lobes, is the three intellects, but then on top of that is the circular all-encompassing crown which represents according to kabbalah the infinite will of god thus what we're saying here is 620 mitzvot is the numerical value of keter because the source of all mitzvot is the infinite will of god so god chose to want it's not from an intellectual perspective Again, God thought it over and decided because God could have willed it differently. God could have willed for lobster to be kosher and filter fish to be non-kosher. It makes no difference to God as the prophet says, and if you do what I want, what have you given me? And if you have sinned, how have you harmed me? So it's all a matter of will, not an interma- a matter of intellectually un. Coming to a reasoning that this is what God needs us to do God doesn't need us to do anything God wants 620 pillars of infinite will Now, with that being said What happens after that? The mitzvot come to us Through the Torah Now the Torah Is the infinite wisdom of God and being that the mitzvot, the 613 mitzvot, descend and clothe itself into the Torah, this allows us to now experience the mitzvot, not on the circular, elusive form of infinite will, but rather in the tangible, digestible, linear realm of intellect, wisdom. Now, Now that we understand that the Torah comes from will, but descends and clothes itself within wisdom, we can appreciate that there's different levels. What is the different levels? There is those mitzvahs that through clothing themselves into the wisdom of Torah, they become, descend and accessible to human intellect. Humans can appreciate the reasoning of why thou shall not murder. However, there are those mitzvot, and by the way, those are the mitzvot that become judgments and testimonies. Then there is the mitzvot that even though they descend from the infinite will into the infinite wisdom, they remain only in the infinite wisdom. They do not descend to a point where human finite wisdom can understand it. Now in Kabbalah, by the way, again, that is the mitzvahs that make up the category of statutes. On a human level, we have no appreciation and understanding of the wisdom reason for the mitzvot, but there is a wisdom reason for the mitzvot as it is in the infinite wisdom of God. Now, according to Kabbalah, the infinite wisdom of God rests in the realm of a world called Atzilut. It's an infinite spiritual world of unity and divinity. Why am I sharing this with you? Because now we understand why Moses was able to understand it. Because Moses, according to Kabbalah and Hasidot, is a soul from Atzilut, which fully embodies the wisdom, infinite wisdom revelation of God in the world of Atzilut. So much so that Moses even experienced it down here, Moses was the only one, unlike Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that when God said twice his name, Moses, Moses, right? Just like God said twice, Abraham, Abraham, and Abraham said, He Hineni, I am here. However, if you look carefully, you'll notice that between the first Abraham and the other Abraham, there's a musical pause. Now, by Moses, that doesn't exist. There's no pause. It's just straight, Moshe, Moshe. Kabbalistically, this means that Moses descended into this world without any pause or contraction. Rather, Moses in this world had the spiritual capacity of his soul as it was up in high in the world of Atzilut. Thus, Moses could physically appreciate the reasoning of the infinite wisdom of the Torah in Atzilut concerning the Para Aduma. Okay, now, let us go further with this. What is important for us to understand is that each and every mitzvah is ultimately both a statute that comes from the infinite will of God, while on the other hand, all mitzvot are judgments having descended into the realm of wisdom. True, wisdom of Torah, that not all of them we understand, but we know that it's there now although we may only be able to appreciate that moses understands it we don't but nevertheless that tells us that every mitzvah is on one hand a statute because it's only about the infinite will of god and thus we just have obedience but on the other hand every mitzvah descended into torah torah is wisdom Thus, even if we don't understand it, we know that there is a reason for it and that Moses did understand it. King Solomon understood all of them minus Paraduma, but Moses even Paraduma. Thus, every mitzvah really has within it both. It is a statute and it is also a judgment. It is pure, infinite will of God and it is also wisdom of God it entails pure obedience it entails pure appreciation of the intellect and reasoning to it now we can now understand from here that even for moses who did understand the reason to the paraduma but nevertheless it also is a statute and moses also had that experience even though he understood the wisdom of it all moses also connected to the fact that ultimately in its source mitzvot is the infinite will of god thus moses was able to appreciate obedience in mitzvot okay however seems to be a good answer now we know how moses can have a statute Because Moses also, even though he understands the reasoning, he understands that the reason is a descent of its original source, which is infinite will. Infinite will of God doesn't demand logical appreciation, but action, obedience. Fine. Now, this will not totally suffice to understand how specifically the quintessential statute is called in Moses' name. Why so? Now, the reason is very simple. What makes the Para aduma the quintessential statute is the fact that no one, including King Solomon, could understand it. Thus, it is not just a statute, it is a quintessential statute. Now, if that's what makes the, the statute of Para Duma quintessential, because to everyone it is not descending into wisdom it is only a pure revelation of illogical will of god if that's what makes it quintessential then moses doesn't have that because to moses even this mitzvah does not remain only to be revealed as the infinite will of god because moses had both He had that it's an infinite will of God, but he also had the wisdom reasoning to it. Thus, specifically, this quintessential mitzvah is not a quintessential mitzvah for Moses. Because it is quintessential in that it has no reasoning that we could understand, and that doesn't apply to Moses. Okay. Now, in order to understand this, how Moses experiences the quintessential statute, we will explore how Moses experiences prayer, which is based upon having needs. Okay, let's go to the second point. Spiritual true wealth, parentheses, essence light. We're going to get Kabbalistic here. In the teaching of Kabbalah and Hasidus, there exist three levels of God's light. The linear finite permeating light, which was transformed by the contraction which then became the soul of all creatures being that it became the soul, the finite soul of all creatures it is absolutely needed by all creations The second light is the circular infinite encompassing light which wasn't transformed by the Tsim Tsum contraction but was quote-unquote from Kabbalah touched by it. And what does it mean touched by it? That it not shine in an absorbable fashion. It will always remain just elusive. Now, concerning this light, which is hidden, it's all-encompassing infinite, there is no need for it. However, I want to quote to you what our sages say concerning the Shabbat day, the seventh day of creation. Now, after God finished in the six days all the details of the needs of creation, then the Torah goes on to say, I'll read you in English, and God completed on the seventh day. And the sages want to know, what do you mean he completed on the seventh day? completed on the sixth day he rested on the seventh day he didn't complete anything and thus they explained as follows what is the world it says that rashi explains that after the six days when everything was completed god asked what was lacking rest the shabbat came and so came rest the work was completed and finished so rest is what it means that the world was completed. There was no inner peace, inner congruency. There was no rest in the first six days. In the seventh day, there was this holistic completion which brought restfulness and inner peace to all of creation. Now, I want to focus on the word. The word that Rashi says is what was the word lacking? It wasn't a need. It was a lack. Thus, what we see over here is that this circular, according to Kabbalah Chasidus, this inf- this uh, rest that we speak about, is drawing the circular encompassing light, that it encompasses holistically, it encompasses all of creation. Thus, after the six days of the inf- of the finite linear life, becoming the fulfilling the need. Becoming the soul of all of creation Then on the seventh day God introduces something Which wasn't a need But it was lacking Thus these two lights The shine of the finite light And the shine of the infinite light Both of them are not wealth One is needed And one fulfills a lack Thus we have the third light, and what is the third light? Is the essence infinite light. By the way, just parenthetically speaking, I know we're going long, it's really, it's a really beautiful but detailed teaching, but I want to just share, just briefly, not in my notes. When we talk about the essence light versus the finite and the infinite, the circular and the linear, the way it's explained is, is that the finite and the infinite, the circular and the linear are all the expression, the shine of the light. But then there's the essence light, not the way it shines. Now, according to Kabbalah, this essence, infinite light, was not transformed nor touched by the contraction at all. It, it just it wasn't affected at all for the for the um, cre- process of creation. Therefore. It serves nor no need, nor does it fill any lacking at all of creation. It is simply pure spiritual wealth, divinity wealth to to he who has it. It serves no purpose, and this is the spiritual meaning behind Moses being wealthy that for Moses here as a physical human being in the physical world in the post in the post contraction realm Remains one who has the infinite essence light. He has everything Beyond what could be needed or could even fulfill a lack Thus Moses was a wealthy man Thus according to Kabbalah that we understand that Moses had no spiritual need and moses had no spiritual lack moses actually had a spiritual wealth for which there is no usage other than it is wealth. so therefore becomes the question again according to kabbalah what does it mean that moses prayed prayed is built upon a need or at least a lack which of of which moses had neither okay now before i go further i want to just in brackets in brackets just do this The Rebbe goes on with another whole piece that we're not going to get into, but the Rebbe explains once again that being that all of creation is not about above, it's about below. The purpose of creation is not for the angels of the spiritual realms, but for the freedom of choice, precious service of the human being. Therefore, the reason why God created three lights is because the human being is obligated and commanded to have three levels of love to God. Love God with all your heart, that is the finite linear light love god with all your soul that is the infinite circular light love god with all your might that is the essence light and thus again the reb is emphasizing how everything that exists above all is for the purpose of us human beings who freely choose to serve god thus bringing a completion even to the infinite light now let's go on to the next concept why prayer regardless of the gifted qualities holiness including the essence infinite light that moses possessed moses primary existence by which he is defined is that moses was the faithful shepherd of his generation and so too the rebbe moses of each generation since Mordechai in his generation B'Hashem in his generation previous Rebbe in his generation the Rebbe in our generation they're all defined not for their spiritual wealth not for their amazing Torah knowledge or love or fear or awe, or faith they are defined by us by them being our faithful Shepherd in which they place aside all their own experiences and and tend to our needs now therefore ultimately speaking moses is not defined by his own wealth but he is defined by our needs and our lacking because that is his whole life to tend to our needs and our lacking now our sages give a parable concerning this chapter 90 of psalms the Moshe. And I want to quote you. It's in a couple of places. It's in Atan but I'm quoting here. It's almost literally word for word. I look more than one, but I'm quoting you for you directly from what we call the Medrash Tehillim. Now, on, on this chapter, I quote A prayer by Moses, what is this similar to? To three people who came to take a gift from the king. And it goes on to explain the first person, the second person. Let's get to the third person. Come the third, and the king said to him, What do you ask for? He, the man, said to him, The king, my king, my lord, I ask nothing for myself, but there is a ruined state that is yours, decreed that it should be built. And the king told him, And this is a great adornment to you. Now, what is being said here? In other words, Moses is saying to God, I am not asking anything for myself. The only thing I ask for is that you have a ruined country, a state in your kingdom, and it's yours, and therefore decree that it should be built. That is what the definition of Moses' prayer is not for me, for your state. Now let's look at what this state means. According to Kabbalah, the ruined state of the Medrish. Refers to what we call Knesset Yisrael The assembly of the Jewish people Now on a spiritual level This refers to the emanation of kingship Which went through the contraction In order to bring about creation and the finite world as we know it And then here below it refers to the Jewish people For the Jewish people their source is the emanation of kingship Which is the assembly of Israel Now, what is Moses praying for? Moses is praying for that it should decree that it should be built. Now, why? Because this this place, this ruined city, this ruined state, it was affected by the contraction. It was ruined from spiritual revelation. Therefore, Moses is asking, please God, you decree that it should be constructed and not only should be constructed, but it should be constructed unparalleled even to the way it was, so that it will be permanently constructed. In other words, what is Moses asking? Being that Moses connects to the primordial essence light that didn't go through a contraction, thus Moses has a clear taste and perception of what true permanent wealth divinity is, so he's asking God, don't just restore the linear light, don't just restore the circular light, but rather make it permanent. le Moses, the wealthy man, is praying for his flock, the poor ruined city, that they experience the definition of true wealth, of permanent revelation and unity with God. That is what Moses is praying. However, being that he's Moses, and he connects with it, why did he need to ask God to do it? It was within his capacity to do it. Even more so, if it's within his capacity, then it was his obligation, because he's supposed to tend to the flock. So if he has this wealth, Instead of praying to God to give this wealth, he should understand that God gave him this wealth as a shepherd, thus he should do it from above to below. However, being that God, Moses knows that God's desire is that the ruined city be built by and of the ruined city itself, it should also be, all be precious from below, from the actual ruined, which created freedom of choice to choose darkness or light. From there it should be built, That's what God wants. God wants from there it should become connected to the essence light. Thus, Moses applies prayer from the below rather than Moses doing it by himself from above through the shining of his essence light from above. Thus, we understand that the entire focus of Moses experiencing prayer is the need of the ruined city, which is his flock. And nevertheless, he doesn't tend to that need by himself Because were he to do it, Moses represents more above than below. Thus he prays. In other words, he's bringing it from the below to the above to fulfill God's ultimate desire and pleasure that we, the beloved, invite God into our lives. Now let's go to the last point, which is the Chukah, the statute of Paraduma. What we see from the concept of Moses' prayer is that Moses being primarily, and from the core, a faithful shepherd, thus the needy and lacking reality of his flock becomes his reality. So too it is with the Paraduma, being the quintessential statute for Moses, since his flock had absolutely no connection to any wisdom level of reasoning for this mitzvah. Thus it is through Moses' speak to the children of Israel, connect to your flock and their needs, that they then take unto you bring to Moses the experience of paraduma being a quintessential statute based on the sole service of obedience in turn remember two ways we offer Moses that even though he has the wisdom by us not having it and our needs of obedience We impact Moses to be able to experience that because his primary definition is not who he is, but who we, his flock, are. Now, in turn, it is Moses who is the absoluteness of obedience through his absolute humility and self-negation that Moses then empowers the children of Israel to be able to serve God with absolute obedience. And again, I left out a lot of details. As it is, this is very rich, wealthy in concepts um uh, but i believe that at least it brought through the point the relationship between a rebbe and his flock and how that impacts that even we that could have a connection to true wealth and true obedience and even moses because of us has a connection to to true need and to true prayer in closing in order to have a wealthy man prayer, meaning to pray for the truest infinite form of wealth, one must have a connection and thus an understanding appreciate and appreciation of true wealth. We cannot just rely on our understanding of wealth and freedom, which is finite and limited. Thus, we need to connect to a Rebbe who truly experiences what wealth in its fullest state is, and then we pray for a wealth in accordance to the Rebbe's perception. Now, in prayers, we ask from God to have compassion upon us. However, the wording we use is with your compassion. Now, our sages explain that we don't understand what true and infinite compassion is. So we ask of God not to grant us the compassion that we understand, but rather with your compassion, that notion of not focusing on my understanding of need, but to open up to what true compassion and true wealth is. Thus, I rely on God's compassion. Thus, I rely on Moses' understanding of wealth. And I'll share with you a story in closing. There was once a Hasid who was a balagola. Balagola means he was a wagon driver who every year when he came to his Rebbe for the holidays would ask for the Rebbe's blessings, that his horse be strong and healthy so that he can earn his living as a wagon driver. No, nope. one year the horse died. And when he came to the Rebbe for the holidays, he simply asked that the Rebbe bless him with parnasa, with sustenance. That year the man became extremely wealthy. When the Rebbe was asked why the sudden turn of affairs for that chassid, the Rebbe responded. And this is interesting until this year he limited my blessings to his understanding of parnasa that i bless his horse this year he allows for me to bless him according to my understandings of parnasa and thus he is experiencing great wealth the moral historian of this lecture is that regardless of how we, we may think that we have seen and that we know what true blessings wealth inner peace and freedom is all about Let us be humble in understanding the minuteness of our mind, of our limited understanding. Rather, let us open ourselves up to be conduits for Moses to imbue our prayers and open us up for God's infinite response. Thank you.